In episode five of MobyCast, John and Chris make the business case for implementing Docker into your organization. Welcome to MobyCast, a weekly conversation about containerization, Docker, and modern software deployment. Let's jump right in. Here I am again with Rich and Chris. I guess we can start, let's just start by talking about what we're working on this week. What have have you been up to this week, Rich? Yeah, so we've been working quite a bit lately on uh, building uh, headless WordPress apps. And so we're we're, we're wrapping up a project that uses Vue on the front end and WordPress on the back end to create a career builder, um, which is pretty cool. So um, most of my time has been spent um, trying to push WordPress in, in odd and different directions. But that's pretty much it. That sounds good. How about you, Chris? What have you been up to? I have been super busy uh, helping out the team push a big, a big build, a big release to production. So we we did a lot of great work um, in a very short amount of time, and uh, now we're all working hard to stabilize that and get it solid so we can deploy to production. Also good. We definitely need that at Kelsus. So thank you for that. Um, and I think. I can't even remember what I've been working on. Maybe 100% getting ready just for this podcast right here. Given that, so this week we thought we'd talk about uh, building a business case for doing CI/CD with Docker, basically changing your entire software development process to put Docker in the middle of it and and build a robust CI/CD pipeline based around Docker. Um, and we wanted to talk about this because a lot of the benefits that get thrown around about Docker are maybe a little bit too hard to understand for the people making financial decisions in companies. So how can you get them to essentially release budget or let let velocity slow down a little bit while you while you decide to implement this? How can you convince them that it's a worthwhile thing without their eyes blazing over? So that, that's what we'd like to talk about this week. And the, the challenge for us is going to be to keep out of all the technical jargon and keep it focused on things that uh, the the financial decision makers at a company could understand. So in order to get started, I thought we'd just we'd just talk about one of the things that that would be the easiest sell for any company. So if you can if you can make a case to the people at your company that the problem that you're having with your, with the development team is that feature velocity has got grinded to a halt. And if we do this, if we put in Docker and we build this stuff, uh, build the CI/CD pipeline, that feature velocity is going to go back to what it was, and we're going to stop losing all this potential value that we're losing right now because we have horrible feature velocity. So that would be the easiest business case in the world. If you can promise that, then no financial decision maker. At any company would say, no, no, we don't want that. They would all just immediately say yes, and you don't even have to put numbers to it. Um, so let's try that. Uh, I thought maybe the way we could try that is by talking about our own past and talking about some times in our past where we've been working on teams or, or even running teams and seen feature velocity go to go to zero and think about with those times, would, would a CI CD pipeline with Docker have fixed the problem? So um, Chris, do you think you could give an example of when this has happened in your past? Sure, absolutely. So um, one thing, one one example that that immediately comes to mind is um, this is definitely a few years back when the CI CD tools tool set was definitely um, not nearly as mature as it is right now. There were some tools out there, but um, pretty primitive. And um, I was I was building a it was a website um, and various associated. Uh, daemon services to do to do various background tasks. It was all written in .NET, um, 
and lots of lots of different components and and uh, many many lines of code and developing the code and getting the features in there um, was not necessarily too much of an issue but was what was a very big issue was when it was when it came time to deploy this from somewhere other than my my development machine so um, there was very much a manual process so running tests um, very much a manual process once I was convinced that the code was solid then it meant I had to package up a, a release, right? Um, and so that meant compiling um, source code, building the, the binary assets, um, then file copying files that were um, static assets, um, make sure everything is in the right locations, build up the zip file, um, then do things like FTP to the, the servers where the deploy is happening, stopping services, unzipping file. It was literally just, you know, pack your lunch. This is going to be an all day affair. Um, and also quite, quite risky. So doing the releases was always one of those things where it's like, um, I know this is going to take a while. Um, and sometimes you end up, uh, in a position where you just don't have the time to do it. So these releases get pushed out. Um, so definitely ran into to that issue, um, on, on that project. If, if, if I had, of a, a CI CD pipeline in place, like obviously all this time and effort would not have been spent um, and it would, have, it would have gone a lot faster and I would have appreciated it. Yeah, that sounds like it would have been a really easy thing to convince. Well, I guess you were your own boss, so you could have convinced yourself um, to do it a different way at that point. Yeah, it's interesting. It was kind of a catch-22 because that was a, um, a smaller company. It was a bootstrap company um, and uh, did not have a lot of development resources. So it was always one of these situations where can I actually carve out the time to make the investment to improve my tooling so that these things go faster or do I just do it? So it's, so it always came down to that, that calculation. Do I want to spend 20, 30 hours building the tooling or do I want to spend, should I just go ahead and spend the four hours to get this done? And, uh, Usually the answer was, yeah, just do the, I'm just going to muddle through it and get it done because I, I can't afford the 20, 30 hours right now to do it. Sure. Makes sense. Makes sense. And I, I can definitely relate to that with some of the situations that I've been in as well, especially with uh, bootstrap companies that, that I've done. I have another example. Uh, I worked for a company called Store Perform in the early 2000s. Also, Brad Swanson, another person from Kelsis worked there. So um, that's not where we met each other, but we both worked at that company. And after about a, a year and a half of building a Java app, uh, it was a, it was a big enterprise Java app, you know, enterprise Java beans and the whole thing. After about a year and a half, it, it got to the point where the only features we could add were just tiny, just you know, put a drop down menu here or re redo the sort order with with this stuff there. But adding a new big feature just became impossible because every time we tried. Um, we would end up breaking everything. And the people that, that had the capability to add a new feature were constantly fighting fires. They just had no time. Um, you know, the, the thing was deployed at uh, major retailers, uh, each in their own in-house cluster. So each cluster would be five or six machines and then a database and a SAN. Um, and this would be at, at Lowe's and Best Buy and, and Sears. Um, and so all the developers were, were constantly just trying to, keep the thing alive. And then when they did try to add new features, they would, you know, the, the whole thing would break. And, and similar to your story, we would also see uh, release 
cycles take forever. So you're going to do a new release. It, it's um, you have a whole release manager who's guiding builds and testing and everything from the point of being code complete for another two weeks or, or even longer before you get the thing, the technical term, I guess, would be hardened and ready for customers. Um, I'm not sure with that company whether a CI/CD pipeline would have helped uh, Dockerize. I, I think it might have. So a couple of things that I think would have would have been useful are, one, that we did have unit tests. We did have some test coverage. It was not in a continuous integration server. So I think we lived a lot of our lives with broken tests and just kind of put up with it. Um, and that definitely would account for some of those um, bugs that, that would come out of nowhere, regression bugs, and, and bugs making it out into production that made our customers unhappy. Um, and then thus the firefighting and the developers being overly busy. Um, and then the other thing I think that Docker kind of forces people into it, not necessarily, but but just the fact that it's a componentized uh, way of deploying is that if we were doing it with Docker, you know, Docker wasn't available, but if we were, we probably would have tried to structure our services, our APIs in more mo more modularly so that a whole big application didn't get need to get replicated across all the machines in a, cl in a cluster and then only smaller parts of it needed replication. And I think more modularity would have created a situation where there was less opportunity for changes in one end of the system breaking another end of the system. So that could have also helped us. Um, but I'm, I, I don't know. I think it would, I think there were other problems at that company that were slowing down the feature velocity and, and I would have been a little uncomfortable honestly making the argument to the CEO there that doing this was was going to just solve that problem completely. And that, that's a good point too, because if there's there's a various reasons why projects stall. Um, and the pattern that you that you just described is is so typical, right? Basically um, a team gets going, they they have great velocity, they add um, lots of features, it grows and grows and grows. Um, but over time, you know, whether it's a year or two, it becomes this big monolith, um, and it's 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 essentially it's a big ball of mud, um, and it reaches a point where um, it's now everything is so tightly coupled that making changes to it is is very risky. It's very scary, and and you get that um, feature um, velocity going away. If you if if that's the kind of problem you have, or sometimes there's some process or culture issues going on as well um, to have this decreased velocity, if you say, I'm going to fix this by turning on CICD. Well, that's just adding fuel to the fire, right? You're just <laughs> now going to go faster with your problems, right? And it's going to make things worse because it's going to, you're going to feel so bad because it's going to give you so much more insight into all the stuff that's broken. The deploys are going to fail much more quickly and you're going to be so in a reactive mode, right? So in that case, you know, definitely probably not a great idea to, to throw CICD to that particular if you have that particular issue yeah and and just for people listening i think we did sort of solve that issue in the end and we, we did it with something i think that we called the strangle pattern which is basically we took that big ball of mud and said let's just move it over here let's not touch it it seems to be working let's build other systems when we want to build other features um and that was the way out of that feature velocity nightmare yeah, absolutely. Uh, definitely a, a typical path, a pattern of how do you move from a monolith to modular services and uh, microservices type approach. Yep, yep. So I don't know, did you, I have one other story that I think I could tell that that's kind of interesting, but did you have any others? 
Yeah, I just, again, I think the um, various, for, for me, a lot of the, the experience has been when um, feature, feature velocity is an issue, or it comes down to just like, what are, what are the manual steps that you're doing that really could be could be automated by by, by your tool set. So, but when we were talking earlier, sorry to interrupt. When we were talking earlier, you were talking about having too many priorities and and kind of getting lost, like trying to do too many things at once. And I thought maybe you you had a specific company that you worked at or a team you worked with where that was that was the problem. Yeah, sure. I, I, um, one of the recent um, projects in the past, it was a. Uh, Company we were, we were building software in the in the healthcare wellness space and a startup company um, trying to um, establish itself in a in a new new market so very much had a need to go fast so we started off kind of uh, on this mission of building software very very quickly to meet um, kind of like the goals that we had as a company for the kind of features that we wanted to get and there's various people in the company that that was their job right to come up with what the roadmap should be what features we need to have, um, and then um, basically really push for those things to happen quickly. So that's what, that's what happened. So the you know, engineering team builds the code. Um, it's done very quickly. Um, so it's, we know that there is um, technical debt that's being accumulated along the way, but um, a very real pressure to, to deliver features based upon the needs of the company and where it's at in its life cycle. And so as that process continues, uh, we ran into this issue, a natural issue of as you're going fast and you know that you're accumulating technical debt, you still have the pressure to add additional features because now your project, your, your product is now perhaps in the marketplace. You have real users using it. Those new users are now exposing some of those real problems from your technical debt. So you have this, 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 this problem where you have a bunch of technical debt that's causing lots of problems and very real issues that are causing existing users to not be happy, but the business itself has still not evolved to its full business business plan. And so the other people on the team are pushing for new features. And so there's this very, very real tension. And, and for me, in my particular experience, it was, I had to make that trade-off, right? Do I, do I add the new feature? To keep that the 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 project leadership leadership team happy, or do I fix the bugs that are causing our existing users to be unhappy? And it was never I couldn't do both, right? Because of resources, I had to pick one or the other. And so that was a very common common theme. And so you just end up basically getting into triage mode. And so that for us ended up being very um, defocusing just because we didn't have the resources to really fully do what it is that we wanted to do. It was, we were spreading ourselves too thin. We didn't know where we, were we stabilizing, hardening our, our version one of our, of our software platform, or were we building out version two? And right. because of that lack of focus, um, basically we did a mediocre job on both things hmm. and very frustrating. So I, I seem to recall from talking to you before that that particular project did actually have, it was using Docker and it did have pretty, pretty robust CICD pipeline. Absolutely. So, I mean, and that, that was, that was something that evolved over time. Um, when I first started on that, um, very little of it, um, was Dockerized and it was very kind of rudimentary first steps, um, out over a, a year, 18 months, we had a very robust, very mature, CI/CD pipeline fully fully um, automated, and um, we had continuous deployment. We had support for actually multiple um, environments that could be um, 
built out automatically by um, automation software. So uh, we basically had um, infrastructure as code where we could like very advanced technical capabilities. Sure. However, that doesn't solve the problem right. of our, our still our fundamental problem of lack of focus. So we, we could go fast, but um, because we were, we were spread so thin on what new work we wanted to do, we weren't creating enough new work to really take advantage of this great pipeline that we had. Right. So that's several examples. And one, one of them, it was a no brainer, put in a CICD pipeline in Docker and save yourself a bunch of manual work. Another one, it was, yeah, maybe that'd be helpful, but there were some other fundamental problems and this, and this triangulation pattern was what was needed. And then in, in your final example, it was already there and you still ran into velocity sort of crawl to a, or halt, go to a halt. So obviously as a business case, um, this is not a panacea. This doesn't fix everything. How about for, for new projects? Is, is there ever going to be the case that you're going to consider not going ahead and putting these things into place for a brand new project when someone comes to you with the idea? So this is something that I talk about with Chris a lot, because I think I have, I, I come from working with a lot of startups that where it's not clear what the ultimate value of the software we create is going to be. And we have very little time to produce some software to get a sense of whether it's valuable or not. Um, and the, the company can't really afford to spend any time not related to doing that experiment, doing, doing the experiment of, do people want this? Do I have product market fit? And I think in those cases, uh, when, when you're just building software to see if people want to use it and not building software for the long term, it's probably not a good idea to spend much time at all doing automated testing, putting together infrastructure as code, uh, even using Docker may be overkill in that case. Um, so maybe maybe it's a conversation with those founders or or the money that's that's supplying the, the resources that, you know, let's get to this point with the intention of rebuilding from scratch. Absolutely. Yeah. I can't I can't tell you how many times I've had that conversation. When you when you have increased your value well enough to attract investors for your series A. Um, use that series A to build this right. Yeah, so basically product market fit is that milestone that will typically get you to that series A. Yeah. So that initial money should be spent on rebuilding the app that you just spent six months building. Right, yes. Which is probably a hard conversation to have with an owner. Yeah. Because they see it as working. (laughs) Right, Because other things have not yet caught up to them. Yep, yep. And the thing is, when you're building a start, when you're building an application uh, to be a startup and to get get that traction and get that product market fit, it's not just a prototype. It's not something that ha- that's completely throwaway code. People, real people, are going to be using it, depending on it. So that transition between kind of using irresponsible development techniques to using responsible software engineering techniques mm. is going to be tricky. Like you have to you have to make sure you don't make your users hate you through that transition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think for me the difference is: are you are you building a prototype or are you building an MVP? Um, How do you differentiate them? Well, um, for me, prototype is something that is um, very short duration. It's something that has to be thrown together very quickly. Um, you can think of it as a, a mock-up of what the, the overall piece of software is that you're building. Um, and you just need to go really, really fast, right, to flesh it out. And it's kind of part of your your, your spec or your requirements, if, if you will, right? Versus an MVP is something that you actually plan on 
running, um, you you are going to use it to to determine your product market fit. That means it has to be like as John said, it has to be reliable. It has to be robust, right? Yeah. Like you're not going to find that if you have product market fit if that thing is falling over daily, yeah. right? right. Like users are getting errors constantly, right? So, um, you know, part of the whole you know the 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 answer to the question of you know do you start off you know when do you, do you do this whole you know do you have a robust CI/CD pipeline do you Dockerize um, you know when do you do that a big part of that is like well what is you know how much is that going to cost you so if you're yeah. if you're a brand new team and you've never done this before and you have to learn along the way that's a huge investment but like for us here at Kelsis like we've already gone through that investment phase for us right now starting a new project spin it up from scratch with a CI/CD pipeline fully dockerized it's just the way we build things now and it's very natural um, and it's not very expensive for us to do i mean we can measure that like maybe it's an extra day or two on a project so it's for new process projects you're probably putting all yeah and, and you the fact that you said it that way really makes me want to walk back a little bit what i said before because what i said was really coming from the point of view of, of not already being so familiar with that and having the tools and techniques just ready at hand yeah yeah, but you guys aren't going to be on every project, right? So the people listening are probably right. going to be sort right. of in this in between mode. Yeah, so don't don't use your um, your your startup budget to learn how to do this. But this does illustrate a great point that once it is an investment, right, to learn this stuff and to and to build in this these keep these um, these maturities into your process because once you've gone over that hump, then starting new things becomes so much easier yeah. and you get all the benefits of this, right? right? You're now reaping the rewards of all this automation your tool set, the tools working for you instead of you working for them. I so if, so then if, you're, if you're in between startups because your last startup didn't work out, use that time in between startups to learn this. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I wonder if there's a way for there to be some sort of like, you know, calculation that you can do side by side, right? You know, here's how quickly you're going to get to market with your prototype. Um, and then, you know, here's how far you probably can get with that. Maybe you can even put some like number of users using it before it starts to hit these, these problems and along the other side where it's like the slower ramp. But over time, this one's going to be more cost effective than this one. Because I think that that's, you know, if, if given something that's predictable over uh, say like 18 months and you say, well, 18 months, we're going to be kind of caught up regardless. We're going to be slow to, to build features early on on this side, but on this side, we'll be quick to own features. But then at some point they're going to, they're going to catch up. Well, it's funny you say that, Rich, because we we did do a little bit of uh, thought around how much it costs to do to learn to bring a team up to speed. Um, you can't see this spreadsheet that I'm about to look at, so we'll just talk about some of the numbers in it. And these are just guesses, but but I wanted to get a sense of how expensive it is to take a team from zero to one when it comes to learning not just Docker, but learning the whole front to back of how to how to make Docker the center of a robust CI/CD pipeline that that starts with you developing on your local machine and ends up automatically putting software into the cloud that inside a Docker container or multiple Docker containers. So so I just thought, okay, imagine devs cost you $100 an hour. Imagine you have 20 on your team, and uh, you know on that team there's maybe five. Uh, there's four projects. You know. Um, each project has five people on it. So, so you can kind of picture that team. It's, it's four groups of five. Um, and each of them are working on uh, different, but you know, integrated software. So this is not a startup. This is, this is just some company that's out there trying to make software. 
Um, and they don't, they, maybe they're currently, you know, maybe they're, they're currently kind of stuck in some, some 2006 to 2008 kind of development practices where uh, they're using a platform as a service um, and they're writing in Python or Rails and they're just, you know, pushing to their platform as a service with Git. And it, it seems to be working okay. Maybe they have some tests, but they're not getting picked up by CircleCI. But, and the tests maybe are just so-so. Maybe the team needs to learn a little bit more about writing an effective tests. So there's a lot they need to learn to, to go from being a, a development organization to a, a software engineering organization. Um, so first of all, maybe each of the people on the team, maybe they need about $1,500 just of, of plain old training. They just need to go through some training or to buy some online courses or books or whatever. Each, each of the people need that. Um, so, so for a 20 person team, that costs about 30 K. And then we can also imagine, you know, we're going to have some lost time and we're going to, we're going to have to pay for some of their time while they're coming up to speed on this. And maybe, I, I don't know, just thinking about Kelsis and thinking about how long it took for some of our people to come up to speed on all of this. Cause Kelsis was kind of in exactly this situation a couple of years ago. I would say each one of them needed around 200 hours of work to, to get this all figured out and to get it, to get it into their muscle memory. Um, and they're, you know, they're still, we're still adding to it. So there's still new things that we're learning, but, but just the basic CICD setup with Docker, a couple hundred hours. So that starts to really add up. Cause when you, when you're at a couple hundred hours at a hundred dollars an hour, that's $20,000 a person. So then you're talking about $21,500 a person. And for 20 people, that's almost half a million dollars. That's $430,000 just to do this. So maybe not what you want to take to your CFO. We want to do this and it's going to cost $430,000. And Chris, you were the one that did this for Kelsis. You joined Kelsis and you brought, up, brought us into this world. And I think that if you had said, this is what we're doing and it's going to cost $430,000, I would have said, Maybe if we can get you know just the right client to to sort of sponsor this, we might think about it. But I don't know that we can afford this. I don't know that we can go from the type of team we are to the type you know we can't pay four hundred thirty thousand dollars for this. We don't have the cash flow for that at the time. We definitely didn't. So, but we did do it. So, how did that work? Because I didn't tell you it was going to cost four hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, right. Yeah, I, I, and there are a couple. I mean, so I think. These are all very, very reasonable assumptions, and there's this is absolutely an investment to. Um, it's an investment in in personal development and growth as as engineers, right? To to learn these technologies and to bring this part these things into a, into a tool set, and learning costs money. There's there this um, it's not for free. It's going to take some time to do it. So it it is an investment. Um, it is. Uh, I think if I did come to you and, and say and, and focus on like, you know, hey, this is going to be a $430,000 investment, that would have been a, a pretty difficult conversation to have. Um, I can also kind of flip it around too and say, John, do you think in retrospect this cost $430,000? Yeah, and I think it did actually. So um, I, I want to just talk openly about our, our biggest client and, and our best partner. They're a company called KBS. They're all over our website. They're a clean services company. We've been building software for them for about three years. Um, and, and, you know, I, I would say that in terms of our billing to them, um, there may have been a point at which the leader there sort of felt like he, he got, uh, for about $600,000 worth of spend, he got about $200,000 worth of features uh, in terms of what he was used to getting in terms of features. Um, and that sounds awful when I say that. That sounds just like the worst thing in the world. 
But all of a sudden, now we're in a position where um, you know I can't say that the the name of the client that that they they have as a service company, but it's a it's a very well known company that we're very excited to be building software for. And we would not be in the position to be able to deliver software to this big company, this big well known company, if it weren't for the fact that we we put in this investment and we and we can sort of meet the litmus test of are you software engineers and do you build stable, big, scalable, real software? And I think I think maybe Chris, you can give an example of of what the client was used to with a, a little project we did for them versus and what that was really worth versus what they're getting now. Yeah, I, I mean, I think there's been a lot of evolution um, since that relationship started over the, the the two or three years that we've been working with them. Um, I think in addition to, to Kelsis um, doing some growth, they've also grown and matured in their capabilities. So three years ago, they were looking at technology in a much different way. They were looking at it um, as very business-driven, very um, just-in-time development. Like, what is this week? What is the current business problem or what's the future that we want? And we just need to spin it up really quickly um, and time is, is more important than anything else. The, not really the sense of we're we're engineering software, right? We're building software for the long term that's going to be robust, that's going to be maintainable, that's going to be code that's uh, modular so that we're not duplicating duplicating ourselves. Um, and so they have matured in kind of their um, where they're at and where their head is around, like how they're viewing um, software development and their their technology capabilities. Um, so early on in the relationship, it was very much more of a pattern of, hey, we need to get something out quickly. Doesn't really matter so much about how it's engineered. Just it needs to happen quickly. And um, that works as long as you don't have um, very high demands or you have um, you don't have too much usage or it's just not mission critical to the business. Right. If it's right. Just- so to kind of bring that down to earth a little bit, we built an application for them that was a prototype we did it in two weeks. And it was a, the, one of their first ever customer-facing applications. Um, it's one, you know, one that they didn't use internally, one that they wanted to show to their own customers. And um, it was just a hit. You know, it was just great, that, the fact that we built that thing so fast and the customer actually used it and is still, I think, still using it today. But what about that app? Like, why is it working and why don't we just do everything like that? Mm-hmm. And, and so that particular app, um, one of the reasons why it was built so quickly is because we had actually been working on a bigger uh, app that was a bit more general purpose and it was um, being designed to be more mission critical. Our customer had this, had one of their customers that needed this, this kind of similar functionality. And so the idea was, let's, like, can we just duplicate that functionality for this other customer? So. One of the reasons why that happened so fast in the two-week time was it was literally a copy-paste of a bunch of code that already existed, okay. right? And then it was just hacked into it or modified um, to whatever slight differences it needed for the the individual customer that that was going to be deployed for. Um, and so that worked pretty well, right? It was it was a single customer, so it didn't it, it wasn't multi-tenant. Um, it didn't there was no there's no extensibility to it. Um, it did the one thing and did it well. Um, but one thing we have struggled over over time now is like, how do you actually improve upon this? How do you add to it? Especially when we're we're still putting so much effort into the to the mainline system that from which that was cleaved. So we have this this problem where we can't really um, update that that application all that well without just duplicating all of our efforts. 
and that's become um, kind of a, a very much of a sore thumb that we know that so it's now coming back to cause problems so we now have a roadmap to to basically bring that back into the fold proper now that we have much more of a platform in place right so so and this is something that just happens all the time where you deliver a prototype that has a lot of value and you deliver it very quickly and then the customer points at that thing eight year eight months or a year later and says why why are you able to do that so fast and everything else takes so long and and you just said the answer right but um but it's hard to also say but yeah look we can't do anything with this thing anymore we can't add more features to it it's it's you know the, we, be, we began the hour talking about all of these applications that we worked on that have ground to a halt feature velocity wise that thing we worked on for two weeks and immediately after the end of that two weeks it was already like stuck in the mud there was nothing more we could do with it because of the way we built it yep, yeah so yeah basically I, I guess looking at this looking at kbs and looking at our, our relationship with them and, and sort of learning this with them um getting you know bringing this bringing this style of development to them has been a huge win for them because now they are able to attract a caliber of customer that they were never able to attract before. So, so that's just, you know, it's very easy to make a business case for that being worth it for, for a company that's absolutely not a technology company to now be respected as a technology company has been huge for them. Um, and, and I think that doing this kind of development and having this kind of, this kind of capability, leads to that leads to those types of outcomes so um so if you are in it for the long haul if you're doing something that where where it's more than a year's worth of you know where the software is supposed to live for more than a year absolutely worth the investment so let's i actually want to talk a little bit we also tried to um tried to figure out you know on the benefit side can we actually put numbers to any of the benefits and are those numbers big enough that you could just take this to your CFO and say, we're going to do this and here's what it costs and here's the benefit. And honestly, I think this is a little difficult. And I think that's, that's why we have sort of stumbled around a little bit talking about the business benefits of Docker because it's hard to put numbers to them. But I did get one out of all the ones we talked about. We talked about um, dealing with broken builds or works on my machine type stuff. We've talked about setting up new developers. We've talked about how Docker saves money on infrastructure. Um, because you can have multiple applications across across one set of infrastructure now. Of all of those things, the one that is maybe the easiest to quantify and comes out with the biggest numbers is actually the the broken build, or it works on on my machine loss of of team time. Because in a in a company or in a team where they're hurting and they have a lot of broken builds, they just like whenever your whenever your team is not working on new stuff, you are just churning out money for nothing. Um, so if imagine you have those four teams that we talked about earlier, and each of those teams loses four hours every time a build is broken, which is which is all of the people lose four hours. It's very very easy to have happen. And then imagine that each month each of those teams has three builds break. The total cost of those, assuming $100 an hour for, per developer, is right around $300,000. So it's not quite as high as our $430,000 just to learn all this stuff. So in year one, just on broken builds alone, you don't recoup your investment, but you get awfully close. And since you don't have to retrain $430,000 in year two, 
boom, if you've got software the last two years, you've already paid for it. So maybe not the, the best business case for your CFO, but, but it absolutely is a business case. Absolutely, you can, with confidence, if, if you're dealing with broken builds, say, Docker is going to fix this. Docker is going to save money. CI/CD pipeline is the way to go. I wish I could do better. I wish I could say, "Look at this two hundred, you know, two two million in savings that you're going to get." But um, this is not bad. Two year two year return on investment is not bad. I think I might have a narrative that is a little bit meta, but sure. I think it plays. And it's that in tech, just like in life, right? Some <laughs> of the best investments are preventative, mm-hmm. and it's very very hard to put a like a finger on any one of those granular benefits, right? Like in order to be healthy, you have to do a lot of work. And if someone says, how do you feel three years after becoming vegan or paleo or whatever, or starting the gym, you just say, my life just feels better. Like, I know it's better, but I can't tell you why. Right. Yeah. But like the, the end result is maybe a longer life. Yeah. Right. And so those things are very hard to say, but I think that you can rationalize that with this too. Is like doing these things is preventative and it'll be hard to say that you prevented a problem because the problem never actually happened. Right. Yep. But through experience, these problems always happen and yep. you're having less of them than our other clients and, and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard to prove a negative. And these things are vitamins and exercise. Yeah, so that's exactly right. We've become blinded to what we're used to. Right. Yeah. So using your example of like exercising or going vegan or whatnot, right. If you're not doing that, then there's very real repercussions, right? Maybe, it's harder for you to get up the stairs. Maybe you're more tired. You're more lethargic. Um, you know, maybe you don't sleep as well. Um, but these are all things that you're just living with, right? Yeah. Um, and and thing you can't. You're, you're not. You're not measuring the cost of that you're because just, it's just life. You're just used to this. Just yeah. yeah. Just the way it is. And so I think it's the same thing with development, right? Like broken builds. That's just part of part of life. That's the way it goes, right? You just you're you become immune to it. You're blinded to it. And so no. it's factored have, in to your daily routine. Another thing we looked at was just, you know, what is that infrastructure savings? It, I think you'd have to have a pretty big company with pretty, pretty huge installation to really wow your CFO with infrastructure savings. Um, just, just sort of off the cuff, I thought, well, what if each of your four applications runs costs a thousand dollars a month if you do it each with its own complete set of environments, each with its own staging and production, with its own EC2 instances in AWS? Imagine you could have. 60% reuse of those machines. So, you know, you could put one and a third, basically, uh, application onto each of the EC2 instances that, that you have. So 60% savings would, would take an annual cost of $48,000 down to about $20,000, $28,000, which, which is awesome. You know, save the money, use it. But again, it's, it's like these incremental costs, these incremental savings, and they, they start to add up. Uh, another one, new development setup. Um, so imagine it, it takes uh, it takes a developer about 20 hours with the old style of doing things to get up to speed. You know, it's like, hey, welcome to the team. Yeah, I think there's a I, I think there's a README somewhere. I, I don't know if we've updated it in a while, but go on there and check it out and, and try to get your development up to speed and or your machine up to, ready for development. And Steve over there is the last one that did it. So if you're running in trouble, talk to Steve. And inevitably you run into trouble. And of course, the first thing you run into is installing the database on your machine because that never works. Um, and so then, you know, 20 hours later, you're ready to develop. Um, if you add four developers a year on a team of about 20, that sounds about right, then that's um, 
around $8,000 that you lose to um, development setup costs. So again, another small, but you know, fixable loss of money. Yeah, the, and the one thing that's not factored into that is just the time it takes to prepare all the documentation necessary in order for someone to do that, right? To set that up. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, there's many hours there. Like, <laughs> not that many though, remember, because you did it once and nobody ever updated the document. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then the other thing too on the infrastructure is even though the, the core, the actual like hard costs there, um, maybe it's not so much of a big improvement, but the, um, the consequence Con, uh, the consequence of having less um, DevOps um, yes. personnel to handle that, right? It's so much easier to maintain a cluster of, of five EC2 nodes and to harden those, lock them down, keep them secure, patch them, than it is to have five separate Beanstalk apps with two nodes each. Um, and it just requires a lot more maintenance and, and, and care and feeding. And those, that's, those are very real hours that are ongoing. And um, those add up a lot. Yeah, and we haven't put numbers to those, but you absolutely could. And then another another one that we didn't put hours to, but that kind of occurred to me because it, it, it relates back to a conversation we had before about how doing this lifts your whole team's skills. Um, is there's that mythical concept of the 10x developer. And so if you have a team of 20, maybe have one or two 10x developers on that team. And those people are always in the old style of doing things. Those people have a tendency to get pulled into solving hard issues inside the infrastructure where the code is running because they're the only ones that understand how to do that. Um, as soon as you lift the rest of your team, now all of a sudden you haven't lost the, those two, you know, one or two 10x developers productivity. Um, and you might be able to quantify that in some way. So the rest of the team, maybe they go from being 1x developers to 5x developers and those two 10x developers stay 10x. Um, that's a huge, you know, if you could quantify that, if you could put numbers to it, you could add this to the to the growing list of benefits that you get from this. You might not even have to put numbers to it because, you know, HR departments um, try to build culture in a lot of different ways. And if, if you're creating an opportunity for employee growth within your company, that has to have a positive impact on culture. Yep. And so, you know, maybe it's your Glassdoor review, right? right like sure. Those types of things will elevate if the people are being challenged and recognizing that as a part of this organization, I'm a better developer, which means that either I can improve with a better position here, but also just my career in general. And as a result of being at this company, that's why I learned it. Because otherwise, when would I have had the time? Right, right. Absolutely. Who wants to work at a team that's using 2008 <laughs> right. Right, processes and tech stack, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, like it's 2018. This really is an investment and like we've talked about the cost here is that this is like the initial investment you're not going to be paying the same price for subsequent projects so you 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 really pay that investment once and then you get to reap the benefits going forward right and so again it's the whole elevate like you're 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 basically it's kind of it's kind of the difference between like making the choice to um you know continually do something manually or buying a tool that will save you 20 hours of time Right. And yeah, it costs money to buy that tool. But once you do that, now you own it and mm -hmm. now you get to take advantage of that going forward. Yep. Right. So, so really in any case where you have long-term software that you're going to have in production and maintain and the desire to continue to build new software to add to your collection, your suite of software, um, if that time horizon is at least a year, but probably like 18 months or longer, um, do this and convince anybody that that might 
not want to let the team spend this extra time, convince them that it's worth it because it absolutely will be. The only time it's not is when that time horizon is super short and you don't already know how to do this. All right. I think we're good. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Thanks.